Welcome everybody to this special cross-continental edition of Dairy Pod. I'm Janelle Bowles from Western Dairy, and in this podcast we feature a fascinating conversation between WA dairy farmer Jackie Bidolf and Northern Victorian dairy farmers Peter and Sue Weirden. We invited the couple to present at our Talking Weather workshop in Bustleton, WA recently, which was where they met Jackie. The Weirdens have certainly had some highs and lows in their 27 years of dairying, but have kept a positive outlook throughout. We hope you enjoy this farmer conversation. I'm Jackie Bidolf. I'm sitting in uh, Bustleton in the southwest of Western Australia, and I'm delighted to have in front of me Peter and Susan Weirden, who come from Northern Victoria, near Kyabram, who are dairy farmers. And we're just going to have a bit of a chat. You've given a presentation to farmers over here about how you've journeyed through this uh, period of phenomenal change in Northern Victoria. So uh, I'm going to pick your brains about that. So, Peter, can we just start with you? Just give me a little snapshot of what your farm system was like 20 years ago. Um, my farming system was much the same as every farming system in the Goulburn Valley. It was uh, We had 120 cows. Um, we were a totally irrigation dairy farm with permanent pasture and we had our replacements either on farm or registered away. We used to be able to cut, we, we cut our own hay and um, that's probably about how it was. So this thing came along called the millennial drought. What happened? Um, well, the millennial drought was a, a, a really um, a big changing event because we lived in a region where the irrigation district was always said to be um, drought proof and that's why it attracted so many farmers to that region. Um, so basically we went from having 100% plus water right down to I think it was about that year maybe 26% and it, it, it basically meant that <clears throat> everything about what we knew and what we did and how we farmed wouldn't work that year and, and so we had to make drastic changes and, um, and, and do things very differently. So just, just talk me through how you did that. I mean, this is like having your world turned upside down. What did you do to sit down and give yourself a roadmap for the future? Yeah. So we, we, um, we were, I suppose, rightly very concerned and worried how we were going to manage it. So um, as we always have, we, we've always used um, a farm advisor. There's things that we do well and um, things that we don't do well. And so in areas that we um, don't feel necessarily confident at um, with all the figures and so forth, we felt it really important to, um, to look to people that could advise us best. And we sat down with our um, farm, far, farm advisor and, and talked through the options and irrigating through whatever we did, we worked out that year that we were going to lose money. We, we, were, we weren't going to come out um, on top. We were going to lose money. We we're going to have to borrow money to stay in the industry. So for us, we didn't want to leave the industry, but we had to find a strategy that was going to be least worst. And so that involved us, um, it was identified that the, um, the dairying regions down south in Gippsland and Western Victoria were having a pretty good season. So the opportunity was for us to, um, as the term is, park our cows in that region. And so that we could um, um, bank or um, conserve our feed at home in readiness for when the cows come home and we would then have food 
to feed them and it would cost us less money than if we kept them home and tried to source feed to feed them through. So that's a pretty... Um I noticed you word that, used the word the least worst option, which is not the sort of thing dairy farmers like to talk about. But all of a sudden you became dairy farmers without a herd of cows mm. and you had that for six months. Peter, what was that like for you? <coughs> Sorry. The first time we did that, because there were more times, but the first time was okay. We, we handled that quite well. We were able to um, have a bit of time away from the farm, so we'd probably farm for 10 years with no labour, so we've been pretty full on. So um, setting them off on the truck, I remember, was a, a pretty hard thing. Um, we did go down and, and see them, and they were on good farms, so that, that was reassuring to us. And um, we, the children were young, so we spent a bit of time off farm, and it wasn't so bad. Uh, having feed for them when they come home was probably a, a really... Um, great idea we, we just felt so much better once they come home and we had feed and we we're ready to farm and things were things were good again so i mean i guess you're basically looking for the upside and the sunshine in what otherwise was a pretty difficult situation deliberately you chose to look at it in a positive light mm-hmm. yep and it worked out that way it was it was not a problem that that first year and once we got used to the idea of sending them away um, I think a, a lot of um, people frowned on the idea. A lot of farmers would not even let other people milk their cows, let alone send them away to other farms. So there was a lot of head shaking going on, but we felt we'd done the right thing and certainly probably would still do that again at that time. So moving on from that period, what's happened in your farming life since in Northern Victoria? Um, so Northern Victoria has, has undergone drastic changes um, and it's probably, you know, this year we're having a really dry year so it it's even compounds how bad it, it seems. But um, talking about it um, as I have today um, has, has given us a chance to reflect but um, being an irrigation district that's been basically um, drought, well, was recognised as being drought proof has gone to an area that d- d- does not have as much security around its irrigation and it, the cost of farming in that region has, has dramatically changed. Because irrigation water is now very, very expensive to purchase, isn't it? So um, some farmers, I understand, have small allocations of permanent water, which they may or may not be able to access, but yeah. often they're going into the marketplace to buy water basically off the shelf at high cost. Yep. So that, that's exactly right. And as I said, the model that we have and the way we farm has changed constantly. Remember um, in the early dry times, we looked at buying more permanent water to give ourselves some more security. And I remember there was lots of robust discussions at the time about um, putting all your money onto water instead of perhaps building a new dairy or buying the next door neighbours wasn't necessarily a good idea because you'd always be able to buy water on the market. So, you know, and then that's... and and. Lots of people did go and buy water and in hindsight, given where the price of water has gone, that, that became a really you know, sensible and clever thing to do, but that's the value of hindsight. Um, Particularly in our area now, there's so many farms have shut down, uh, the land is available, whereas the irrigation water isn't. In those days, we were thinking buying land is probably the most important thing, especially when temporary water was $30 a megalitre and permanent water was probably 
around the $1,500 mark, why would you ever want to buy permanent water, buy more land, buy another tractor, fix up the dairy, rather than buy permanent water? The way it's swung around is now permanent water is gone, grown its prices around the $5,000 mark. Um, there's less water, so there's less temporary water. And as I said before, there's certainly plenty of farms to buy now if you want to buy them. So rather than investing in water, you basically invested in more land. And I guess that's because it's dry land, that's shaped the way you've had to run your business. So give me a little snapshot of what your farm looks like today. Today, right today, we're uh, lot feeding our cows with hay brought in from uh, the Wimmera and the Mallee. Um, we feed vetch hay in 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 feeders. Um, we're, we're totally dry, other than about thirty hectares of um, lucin, which at the moment we're not irrigating, so it's just waiting either for some rain or um, it'll just hopefully sit and wait until we can get some irrigation water at a cheaper price. So you've obviously put some uh, pasture species into your system other than ryegrasses, which was the traditional system, permanent pasture in Northern Victoria. Yeah, we were fully permanent pasture back in the day. Uh, since then, uh, over time, we've re-sown and, and tried to get back into permanent pasture, but now it's just not an option. We're on a third of uh, annuals, a third of fescue and a third of lucin. So the annuals, the plan with the annual is you water it on the 1st of March and you have feed by the end of April and that will take you through to um, December the f and then that's when your loosen comes in and the fescue just fits in around both. Um, so that was to give us feed all year round. But again this year with water prices being up at $600 megalitre we can't irrigate anything. Hence why we're buying the feed in from the Mallee. So one of the things you mentioned in, in your talk, Susan, which I thought was, was a pretty good comment, is that in times such as these, it's even more critical to have a really good relationship, not only with your processor, but also with the people who supply the critical inputs to your farm. So you're out there looking for grain, you're out there looking for fodder, and you want to be able to present yourself as a good client, a yep. good customer. Yep. Just give us a few words about that. Um, so for me, it's pretty important that you meant well, particularly it's shown up this year is in managing your cash flow so that if you do go out and source feed you can um, use incentives um, and present yourself as someone that's um, <coughs> a good customer mm -hmm. so you can cr um, create terms around when and how you might pay them when you might take the delivery of the um, of the product and so forth that makes you attractive to them. So does that include sourcing things perhaps out of what might normally be called a traditional period of the year? Um, look, we're, we're, because we, uh, we're traditionally not people that buy in a lot of feed. So we're actually, I suppose, putting it uh, upon ourselves this year to learn as much as we can we, uh, about um, opportunities. Uh, you know, it was interesting today to hear the, um, the grain man talk about the opportunities that for you guys um, when he suggests you should buy your, your, your grain over here. Um, so I suppose... For us, it's it's what we've learned is what we learn this year won't necessarily work next year. So if anything, you just you really have to keep getting out there and keep having discussions and keep trying to find opportunities and keep looking as far ahead as what you can. You can't whatever we've done and we've created a plan that looks really good. 
something changes and that plan won't work anymore. It doesn't mean that it was a bad plan. It just means that the, 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 the environment's changed. The goalposts move. Yep. They do that, don't they? they do. um, Peter, uh, you mentioned capping numbers, numbers of cows in the herd, and and you also mentioned the day you had to put all your young stock on the truck, which was a pretty tough day for you. Um, yes, we well, where do we cap numbers is always a hard one for me. We're, this year now with um, milk, good milk prices, it's probably a good year to be milking a lot more cows. So I think we've learned you have to be flexible. You could go and put put a lot of cows on the truck if um, milk prices are poor or you could go to the market and try and buy them in if um, the market's good but we certainly have to be flexible. Putting the uh, the young cattle and sending them to um, the overseas market was probably a, a new thing for us. It had been in around for a long time and a lot of people had been doing it but we'd always read our cattle to milk not to trade and to get used to that idea was um, a bit difficult for me. If we had have planned earlier and thought, right, we, we're growing these for the, the export market, then that would have been a lot easier for me. I'd put a lot of time and effort into growing them out to be good heifers in our dairy and to send them off to somebody else was was a hard pill to swallow for me. Yeah. So I, I guess when, you know, when I listen to you guys speak, the thing that really jumps out to me is this willingness to go with the flow, be flexible, change things, but always with an eye to the future. Would that be a fair comment? Yeah, I think maybe, as I touched on, I think maybe having that adversity, that millennial drought and that really tough time. I remember when that happened, I wanted to show our kids that we weren't you know, that bad off that we started sponsoring a, a child over in Africa. Because I wanted them to realise that as bad as what it seemed, we we actually were very lucky. Um, and I think maybe that, that, that experience of adversity for us has made me realise we got through it and there's no point. You know, as I said also, if we don't want to do it, we can, we can get out, we can leave. We've got, you know, we've got our dignity and, and we're not broke. You know, we've done okay out of the industry. We came in with very little. Um, I hate to talk like that and I would hate to think that I was, you know, giving it a negative, a negative vibe that there's nothing left in the industry but uh, no one's holding a gun to our head and if, it, if it's not right for us, we'll, we'll move on and change is inevitable. I'm probably pretty comfortable that, that, uh, and recognise that things, even whatever we decide now, something will be different next year and it might be better and it might not. Um, it's funny you say that because uh, to my husband and I went dairy farming in the very early years, we hit, hit a particularly tough patch. And I remember my delightful father-in-law coming into my kitchen and saying to me, don't worry, some will come up tomorrow, yeah. we'll be all right. But it's that attitude thing yeah. that's actually critical, isn't it, yeah. to keeping, um, basically keeping the show on the road. Yeah, I think you need it to set you, it sets you up, it sets you up to realise that things are never as bad as what they seem. And when things are really good, Around the corner, something's going to come up. If it's make it going to make it not as great as what it seems, so I think that's a really valuable lesson in life. So, um, just reflecting on you know where you've come in the last twenty plus years, twenty seven years, give me the top three things, a bit of advice that you give to someone else who is now 
perhaps facing adversities for the first time or the second time or even the third time. But what are the three things that you think are most critical to ensuring that you can get your business through to the next phase? Passion. I think passion for the industry, passion for what you're doing is um, critical. If you haven't got the passion, then you probably shouldn't be doing it. I, I, I add in travel. It, we've we've um, just had some of the most amazing times through our time, our journey through farming, just with the travelling that we've been able to do and getting off farm. So do you think it's very important to get off farm? Oh, for sure, yeah. Um, and last year we were lucky enough to go to the um, European Dairy Conference and we toured Israel, which we gained a lot out of, and we snuck in a little trip to Jordan as well and um, to to be able to do that and to look back and, and the learnings that we took out of it, I think, are, are very important. Um, it, it certainly should be there. What have you got if you farm for 30 years and think, well, you've milked your cows every day of the week? It's um, far better off to look at the adventures and, and if we hadn't have got off farm and done what we've done, we wouldn't be sitting here talking to this microphone. We, it's all through what getting off and, and looking and, and talking and having fun off farm is, is so much part of adding to the passion. And, um, and do, you think you, do you think you think better when you're not surrounded by what, the, the daily farming decisions? Absolutely. Um, definitely. I, I, think, um, I think it's super important to remember that there's a person in there, not just a farmer. I've always been pretty passionate about that. Um, and going back to what you said before, I think it's critical. I, that's, I said the value of being part of a farm group and, and, um, and just getting out of the farm and talking to people, talking early, leaning on people, knowing that you don't have to be good at everything. There's certainly parts of our, our, in our dairy business that we know we're not good at or we don't love doing. So we outsource what we're not good, not, not good at doing. And it's unashamedly that we do that. Dairy farming today is such a complex industry. It's such a complex business, and there's so many skills that you need. But you just—it's impossible to be amazing or good at all of them. And you need to be okay with that. And when you need to know that, I don't know what to do here. You need to go and find someone that that does know what to do and talk to them and get some help. You don't feel like you need to know. And sometimes it's a time factor, isn't it? You know, you can get it. You can get someone in to do your feed budget in two hours, which might take you three days. Oh, so true. That is uh, that, that, yep, that is critical. That's uh, timing. Timing is uh, a, a very big one in farming. I always tell the story about spraying drains. That I used to spray the drains by myself, and you'd get halfway, and then you'd have to milk, and you, you'd never get back to that drain or the channel. And when it'd be irrigation time, it was it was too late, and you think, well, now we get contractors in. It's done in a day, and that that. Yes, definitely makes a big difference. And you can spend your important time doing things that only you can do. So what's 1920 looking like for you guys? Well, we've got two grandchildren on the way, so we're pretty excited about that. And um, we're basically just looking for the next trigger points, work out whether everything is about whether we can make the numbers stick up. Yeah. So if the numbers stack up, We'll, we'll, we'll keep having a crack and, and, it, and if we find that it's, it's just not stacking up for us, we'll find what else we can do and that's okay. And I would add into that, in the first 10 years of our farming, nothing much changed. In the last three, we've gone from a great year to a very poor year 
to a different year where we've now we're buying in hay. So the three years in the last three out of the three years have been so different. So for ten years nothing changed much. The last three, it has been such a different experience on each year. So have a guess at twenty twenty because I really wouldn't know what it's going to look like. And that's the big thing about farming these days is is you know the need to because we are in a changing climate, there's no doubt about that. We're also in a changing environment in terms of milk processing and milk price. We're in a changing environment in terms of where the industry is and what it's going, where it's going to head. So there's one thing that seems to me that is very common to people who are positive and forward-looking, and that is that they are flexible, they understand their businesses and they know what's important to keep the thing ticking. And they also make decisions about what they're going to do before, hopefully, that next trigger point hits. Yep. Yeah, that's so true. And I think, um, again, going back to that first 10 years, we didn't use a lot of farm consulting, so we, I tried to do everything myself. And it wasn't until that year that we parked the cows. I think every year since then we definitely have a meeting with our farm consultant uh, advisors and nutritionists and whoever else we can find and get as many good people around us and try and help us head in the direction that we want to head and have them supporting the direction and we all work together. So you've got a plan, basically. You've got a plan and you've got people surrounding you who know the plan and help you get there. That plan could very much change. As I said before, we don't know what 2020 is going to be, but the people are there to help us um, and we will use them. So lastly, Susan, I just want to touch on something you said before, which was the need to surround yourself with positive people. How important is that to you? It's critical. I've Over the years, when I first came into farming, I don't know how many industry meetings, you know, like particularly processor meetings, where you, you'd go and the room was just full of negative angry people and I made a choice if I, from then that if I thought it was going to be a negative meeting I didn't bother going because it's, it did nothing for me, it made me upset. Um, just, it just, it, yeah, it, it wasn't good for my soul um, and I find that being part of it, we've got a, you know, a fantastic DBN group and it's couples. So that's Dairy Business Network, that's like a business like a support discussion group, group, discussion yeah. group? It's a closed discussion group. So we all share all our figures, we challenge each other, we, um, I think we make each other better farmers, we inform each other and we go through the highs and the lows together. So, and the fact that it's um, couples I think is part of the robustness because I think it's the, 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 what the females um, bring to the um, to the group is much more about nurturing and caring, and that rubs off. And um, I think it's a really, really positive thing. And no matter how crap you might feel going to those meetings, you can see everyone goes home. We've got a fantastic consultant when he works with our group. Um, always manages to, you know, we, we go through about, you know, we, what's what's difficult and what's not so good and what, what would I do differently, but then we celebrate what we have done. We talk about what we have done well and where are our ticks and, and acknowledging each other and that's just so important. Sounds a bit like a little support group. It is, it is, but we don't, we, we never identify because it's no. there to be robust. We're yeah. not there to pat each other on the back. We're there to ask why you're doing this. And, and challenge each other. If it was just that, people wouldn't go because we want to be better farmers by going to that group. Otherwise, we wouldn't take the time off our, out of our business to go to it. We wouldn't be able to justify it. So we want to be better farmers because we'd go. 
And I'd add in so many times we've been on the forefront because of going to the DBN. We hear things that are coming up in the industry. We hear things that are problematic in in um, the farming world, and we're on we're there for the timing. And usually we get the timing pretty right because we've heard about it at the DBN, and we go back home and implement or um, know, know about or find. Forewarned is forearmed. Well, look, it's been great, you guys, coming and having a, a chat with me. It's, uh, I hope you've enjoyed your little trip to Western Australia. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's not a bad little part of the world. Um, uh, Peter, you in my strategic thinking, I've decided is best done by a swimming pool with a cocktail in my hand out in the summer sun. I've tried to replicate that outside my patio, but it just doesn't cut it. So <laughs> I'm with you guys. Have a holiday and enjoy it. Thanks very much. And that's it for this episode. Thanks to Jackie, Peter and Sue for opening a little window into your farming lives. You can listen to other Dairy Pod episodes at SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts at any time. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. Bye.